Our focus for today's sermon, it is the story of Joseph, his coat of many colors from the Old Testament book of Genesis. It's going to be our focus, as we've been saying, for our vacation Bible school this week. And our text for today actually really begins in chapter 37 of the book of Genesis and runs all the way to chapter 50 to the very end of the book. Joseph stood before all of his brothers. And by this time, it had been over 22 years since he had last seen them. And by this time in his life, Joseph was essentially the vice president of the kingdom of Egypt. He was the right-hand man to the Pharaoh. Joseph, by this time, was, aside from the Pharaoh, the most powerful, influential man in the most powerful empire in the world at that time. And when Joseph saw his brothers coming to him in their time of need and desperation, their hunger, he knew exactly who they were. He recognized them instantly. But his brothers did not recognize Joseph. They didn't know who he was. And by Genesis chapter 45... Joseph is standing before his brothers. He knows who they are. The text tells us that he is overcome with emotion and he begins to weep aloud, it says, and it's so loud, it says the Egyptians heard it and the household of the Pharaoh heard it. He's so overcome with emotion and he says to his brothers, it's me. I'm Joseph. Your brother, here I am, and there you are, and we're all back together again. And it says that his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. They could not speak. They were so overcome with shock and awe that this was Joseph, and they were overcome with a terror and a fear. beginning to imagine what Joseph was going to do to them for what they had done to him all those years before. What is God up to in the story of Joseph? What is the point of the story of Joseph. What's the purpose and the purposes of God in this story of Joseph and the focus of the story of Joseph? Well, the focus of the story of Joseph and the purpose of the story of Joseph isn't Joseph. In fact, there's another of the sons of Israel, of Jacob, who's far more important in this story. We'll see that. 
And if you grew up in the church, I know many of you did, and many of you, you have heard the story of Joseph and his amazing technicolor dream coat, his coat of many colors. You've heard this story since you were a little child in Sunday school. The story of Joseph, what God is up to here. You know, it is so much more than just a lesson about how to deal with what we might call God's hard or difficult providences. That is when God allows difficult times in our lives, how we deal with that. It's so much more than just to let, it is that, it is a lesson on how to deal, but it is so much more. What God is up to in the story in the life of Joseph is so much more amazing, astonishing than anyone could possibly have realized. And the story of Joseph begins back in chapter 37, Joseph is 17 years old, we are told, and we're told that Joseph was the particular favorite of his father Jacob or Israel. Jacob was not always the greatest guy. He was a thief, he was a liar and a manipulator throughout his life. He's not the greatest father here. This is what we would call some serious hardcore dysfunction happening in their family where he's doting over his youngest son, giving him that coat of many colors, and it creates such discord within the family. Verse 4 of chapter 37, it says that his brothers hated him and they could not speak peacefully to him. They couldn't even speak to Joseph. And the hatred they had towards their brother. And then Joseph, God starts sending him these dreams. And Joseph goes to his family and his brothers said, I had a dream, I had a dream where, where I was this sheaf of wheat and there were uh, 11 other sheaves of wheat and all those 11 sheaves of wheat were bowing down to me. And his 11 brothers knew exactly what that iconography and that symbolism was, that, that this dream is somehow saying they were going to bow down to him. And again, the jealousy and the hatred grows even stronger. And then Joseph has another dream where there is the sun and the moon and 11 stars. And the sun and the moon and the 11 stars are bowing down to him. And he tells that to his family and to his father and his mother. And they understood, again, the iconography. The sun and the moon, that's mama and papa, mom and dad. And the 11 stars, his 11 brothers, his whole family bowing down to him. And again, his brothers, the jealousy, the hatred. Even Jacob is a little bit disturbed by this. And then his brothers are out far away. They're out guarding their flocks and they're in the fields. And Jacob sends Joseph to kind of keep an eye on them. Again, probably not the best idea on Jacob's part. Hey, go check, go check on your brother. See how you're doing. You let me know. So he goes and finds them in a place called Dothan. And when his brothers see Joseph coming, it says this in verse 18 of chapter 37. It says, they saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. 
And they said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. They want to kill him. This is their plan. But Reuben is there. Reuben's the older brother. He's more answerable to their father. He says, no, we shouldn't kill him, but let's throw him in a pit with no food or water. And then Reuben goes away, and then their brother Judah, remember that name, Judah, comes up with a great idea. There's some traveling merchants on their way to Egypt. And so he says, hey, let's make a little money out of this. Let's sell our brother into slavery, and then we will be done with our brother, and we'll be done with his dreams, and we can get on with our lives. And they say, great idea, Judah. And they take their brother out of the pit and they sell him into slavery to these Ishmaelites on their way to Egypt. And these brothers have no idea what they're actually doing what's actually going to happen because of their actions. They have no clue. They can't see. They, in this action, Judah and his brothers, they were trying, attempting, their goal was to destroy the dreams. And God uses the action they were intending to destroy the dreams to fulfill those dreams. Can we let that sink in? How awesome is our God? That's going to be the refrain for the kids during VBS this week. On and on. They're going to be shouting out, Awesome God! The very thing that the brothers were using, believed, was going to destroy the dreams God was inversing, turning upside down, and was actually going to use to fulfill the dreams. This is a pattern we see throughout Scripture time and time and time again, leading us to the hill called Golgotha on the cross of Jesus Christ where God takes the sinful actions of the religious leaders and he uses sin to defeat sin and he uses darkness to defeat darkness and he uses death to defeat death. We call it being hoisted by our own petard. Or as what would happen when I was a little child and my brother would take me by my own hand and he would make me do what? Why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? I'm not hitting. Why are you hitting yourself? <clears throat> Joseph ends up in Egypt. And it says here that he is eventually sold to a man named Potiphar, who was a leading official within the Pharaoh's household. And what does Joseph do? I mean, what would you do? 
was the temptation maybe to try to run away get back home I don't know but Joseph is a good man and he is a righteous man and he's there he is a master and he starts working hard so much so that Potiphar puts him in charge of his entire household and Potiphar has a wife and Joseph is a young and handsome man. And Potiphar's wife, let's just say that Potiphar's wife wants to spend time with Joseph. Joseph understands that her husband needs to spend time with her, not him. And, and, and he so adamantly wants to get away from this and do the right thing that he runs away and she's holding on to his cloak and his cloak is left behind. But Joseph, you see, is good. He is trying to do what is right. Potiphar's wife, she's a woman who does not like to be scorned in this way and to be treated in this way, so she makes up a lie and she lies and tells everyone that Joseph actually tried to hurt her in a terrible way and so Joseph then is arrested and he's put into prison. Joseph who's trying to be good, who's trying to do all the right things, And now he's in a foreign land, and we can only imagine what an Egyptian prison would have been like. And Joseph, just like his brothers who had done this horrible sin, this, can we call it a spectacular sin against him, just like his brothers, Joseph does not understand cannot possibly conceive of what is actually happening in this moment. For Joseph, his life didn't make any sense at all. His life didn't make any sense at all there in that prison. Just like perhaps there are times when your life and perhaps your life even here this morning doesn't make any kind of sense. And yet God, what is God doing? What is God up to in Joseph's life, in your life? We don't know how long he was in prison, but, it, but, but after some time, the text tells us, there was a cupbearer to the king, to the pharaoh, and he ends up in prison for some reason, and this cupbearer starts having dreams. Joseph says, well, I happen to be a bit of a dream expert. And he interprets the dream of the cupbearer, and he says, you know what your dream actually means is that you're going to be in prison for three days, and then you're going to be set free. Joseph says to the cupbearer, he says these exact words, Please mention my name to the Pharaoh. Do not forget about me. Remember me and how I helped you. The cupbearer gets out of prison after three days, and it says in the text that Joseph was forgotten for two years. Woe is right. And then the Pharaoh starts having dreams that were disturbing him. He didn't understand them. The cupbearer goes, oh, wait a second, I know a guy. 
And so Joseph is brought out of prison before the Pharaoh. Joseph interprets the dreams of the Pharaoh. says, Pharaoh, what this means is that there are going to be seven years of absolute abundance in our harvest. We're going to be overflowing with bounty for seven years. But then for seven years after that, there's going to be a terrible famine. And Joseph develops a plan where they can take for those seven years and store away in the barns all of the abundance of the grain and the wheat. So for those seven years of the terrible famine, they're going to have enough food to survive. And Joseph proves himself and proves himself, and he eventually becomes essentially the vice president of the land of Egypt and the right-hand man to Pharaoh. And his family in Canaan are also stricken by this famine, and they, his brothers, become hungry. And they make their way to Egypt. And there Joseph is standing before all of his brothers. And it has been now over 22 years since he last saw them. And again, by this time, 22 years later, aside from the Pharaoh, Joseph is the most powerful man in the most powerful empire in the world of that day. And Joseph... When his brothers comes in, he recognizes them. He knows who they are, but his brothers don't know who he is. And again, it says that Joseph was overcome with this emotion, and he weeps aloud, so much so that the entire Egyptians, the entire house of the Pharaoh can hear him. The emotion is so great. And he says, it's me, it's your brother, it's, it's Joseph, here I am. It says that his brothers could not answer him. They were dismayed at his presence. There is Joseph. They cannot speak. They're so overcome with shock and awe and no doubt absolute terror and fear. What is Joseph going to do to us for what we did to him? And as we begin to conclude here, there are two verses which show us what God has been up to. There's actually another verse that's even more important we'll get to in just a moment, but these two verses. Verse 5 of chapter 45, Joseph answers his brother's fear and he says do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life you sold me God sent me and notice here, this is not just like God looking down the quarters of time and he sees what his brothers are going to do and this spectacular, horrible sin. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. Well, what, what can I make out of this? No, this is the means by which God chose to do this good thing to preserve life. You sold me, God sent me. And then at the very end, chapter 50, the whole family moves to Egypt. Jacob eventually dies, and now all the brothers are scared again because they think now that our father's dead, Joseph maybe was just being nice to us out of respect to our father, but now he's really gonna let us have it. And again, Joseph says these words, chapter 50, verse 19, do not fear. 
For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive. Again, you meant it. There was a meaning here. Your meaning was evil. God's meaning, his purposes were good. It's not just that God used this thing, but that God purposely chose to work in this way for the saving of many lives. Now, whose lives were saved? Well, obviously, thousands, if not perhaps millions of Egyptian lives, but whose lives were saved? The lives of the family and the sons of Jacob, of Israel. Perhaps you remember the covenant that God had made with Abraham that one from his family was going to be a blessing for all the peoples and for all the families of the earth, it says. Who was saved from the family of Jacob? Well, all the brothers were, but there was one brother in particular. Do you remember the brother who had this great idea to actually sell Joseph into slavery? Remember his name? It was... Judah. And as we conclude here, the most important verse in all of this story of Joseph to understand the purposes of God. Chapter 49, Jacob is blessing all of his sons. He knows he's about to die. And he prays a blessing over Reuben and Simeon and Zebulun and Issachar and Dan and Naphtali. And Joseph himself receives a blessing. But there is his son Judah where he says this, Judah is a lion's cub. Judah stooped down and he crouched as a lion. Judah understood symbolically as a lion. And he says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet. Do you remember, do you know who were the descendants of Judah? Eventually, the, one of the descendants of Judah would be a man named Jesse, who lived in Bethlehem, who had all of his sons, and his youngest son, who was the runt, out in the fields with the flock. That is the one that God chose. His name was David to be king. And then David had a son named Solomon, and Solomon, and all the way down the line throughout all of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. But then the blessing finishes this way where Jacob over Judah says, to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. To him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Not to him shall be the obedience of the people, but the obedience of the peoples. In other words, there is one who's going to come from the line of this lion of Judah, who's not just going to be a king over Judah or a king over Israel, but he's going to be king of the world, a king of the universe. 
We see this again in Revelation chapter five as the apostle John receives a vision. In chapter five he says, weep no more, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. And then it says, this lion of Judah, it says, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, all of the peoples. This Lion of Judah and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who becomes the Lamb of God, all-powerful and almighty and sovereign, and he's the Lion of Judah, but he's the Lamb. He sacrifices his life for you. So can we stitch this all together in one thought? What is God up to in the story of Joseph? That God in his sovereign power and God in his sovereign grace purposely works in a way through the spectacular sin, the hatred and the brokenness and the darkness of these brothers to actually bring about through the suffering of their innocent brother to bring about the salvation of those who had this spectacular sin and the darkness and the hatred within them so that many lives would be saved, especially the life of Judah and the family and the tribe of Judah so that the Lion of Judah, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, might come into this world to bring salvation for all of us with our own spectacular sins that are within us and the darkness within us that we might know we are saved so that when our life doesn't make sense. When we're in the pit or we're in the darkness of our own prison cells of anxiety or worry or fear or sorrow, we might know that God is up to something more amazing. Joseph had no, could he have possibly imagined what God was doing, the salvation of the world? And that all of those things which make you sad will be turned into that which will make you happy forevermore. To Christ alone, the Lion of Judah, the Lamb of God, be all the glory. Amen.